Welcome to Rope Access Tips, Tricks and Chats. As always, I'm your host Lee Greenwood and I'd like to say welcome to this episode. This week we're carrying on with chats with uh, ladies of Rope Access. So we've got Laura Morose who's come in to have a chat with us. Most probably the coolest surname I've heard in a long time. Laura's based up in Canada, around the Vancouver area. She's been uh, working on the ropes for a few years, working on some pretty cool structures, so we're going to have a bit of a chat with her. If you guys haven't subscribed to the podcast, press the appropriate buttons to get the updates of when the new episodes come out. We're doing an episode every week, having some tips, showing you some tricks and having some pretty cool chats with various people around the world. So um, yeah, subscribe and uh, have a listen to the episodes. But for now, let's have a chat with Laura. How are you doing there, Laura? Yeah, I'm great. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. Um, yeah, had a few guys come down from uh, Canada on the on the chats and uh, wanted to uh, bring you in to get a female perspective on uh, how you got into rope access and uh, and where it's all taken you. So straight in with my uh, my standard questions. Um, how did you get into the rope access industry? Yeah, well, I started like a lot of rope techs uh, with outdoor um, recreational climbing and that sort of mixed in with working in the construction industry. And I had a supervisor approach me and, and say, you know, have you heard of this, this thing called rope access? You, you might want to look into it. Um, you know, if you're a climber, it's something that you might be interested in and it might take you further in the construction industry as well. At the time, the construction work I was doing, uh, there was a lot of asbestos and lead abatement and demolition. It was not the most glamorous construction work. So I was definitely looking for a way out of that and a way to, you know, progress in the construction industry with a little bit more, you know, skill and integrity, I guess you could say. So I started to look into it, mostly just online searching. And then I got laid off from this job just due to a lack of work. And so then I was off. I had a lot of time, continued my research into rope access. And during the time I was laid off, I got into a, a small car accident where my my van, it was a camper van, actually. It was uh, it was ruined to the point that uh, there was no way for, you know, not worth it to, to repair the van. So uh, instead, the way the insurance works here is, you know, they determine the cost of repairs versus the, the cost of writing off the vehicle and, you know, issuing a, a paycheck of sorts uh, to the driver. And so I got a paycheck um, from the insurance company. Instead, it wasn't worth repairing my van. And with that small paycheck, I used it to um, pay for my first uh, rope access course. Uh, so at the time, that was Sprat Level 1. And I did that in the summer uh, in August. And so I rode my bike, took the, the ferry and rode my bike to get to the course. And that's how it all started. That's, uh, that's pretty cool. So, uh, so you've no longer had anywhere to live. And uh, no way of getting around apart from your push bike because uh, you sound like a, one of those standard Canadians that I know with the camper van uh, tearing <laughs> off every every weekend and uh, and going climbing and all that sort of thing, which is which is pretty cool. Yeah, fortunately, I did still have an apartment to live in, so 
I was lucky that way and I did have a bike and access to transit. So um, it was just the climbing trips that got put on hold for a little while. Yeah, cool, cool. So uh, you you jumped onto the uh, onto the Sprat course, um, and did you did you get straight into work after that, or how did that how did you find getting into the industry? I did actually get into work right away um, after the course. I spent a little bit of time, maybe less than a week, uh, sending out job applications, and I went to my first interview in person with a company local to me. And right there in that interview, I was hired. And that's the company I worked for for just under two years as a rope technician. And in that two years, did you, because uh, I, I know that you're, uh, you're a Sprat and an Arata tech. Did you jump onto the Arata bandwagon in that time or were you just running with a Sprat ticket? I did, yeah. Uh, close to the end of that two years, I went and assessed for Arata 1 and Sprat 2. Uh, so that was the point that I started to, um, you know, the my my sprat was always uh, since then has been ahead of the errata ticket. Yep, yeah, because they have uh, slightly different uh, time and hour uh, limitations than the uh, than the errata ticket. And do you find because obviously I uh, I've done a little bit of work up in uh, in Canada, but mainly the stuff I've done is training and assessing. But uh, how do you find it with the uh, with the tickets up there with the errata or the sprat? Do you find that companies want one they want both or how does it all sort of work yeah i live in the city of vancouver within the city most companies which are mostly building maintenance companies um they're happy to accept either a sprat or a rata ticket and then i do have a number of friends and coworkers who have worked uh in fort mcmurray in alberta and in the edmonton area and a lot of the companies there uh, are looking for the errata tickets. Okay, so it's more of a sort of uh, borough by borough, state by state type of thing in, uh, mm-hmm. in Canada, which seems uh, seems similar to uh, to Australia in uh, in New South Wales. People could sort of they just want them to have a, a ticket, but then if you go over to uh, Western Australia, they want you to have the errata ticket mainly. So yeah, seems uh, seems sim- similar, but sort of less techs running around over here with. Uh, Sprat tickets and things like that because it hasn't been over this part of the world for that often, but we do have a local ticket that's now got into Pebbledon. So that's cool. So you did two years there and then uh, did you move on to a, a greener pastures or what sort of happened after you left that company? Yeah, the the two years I was doing building restoration and I found it to be a little bit difficult to get full-time work doing this, um, as you know, or Maybe you're not, you don't know yet, but Vancouver, it rains a lot here. Uh, It makes it pretty difficult to apply caulking and paint and other materials on a building, um, you know, to find the timeframes to do that uh, just because of how much it rains and how much moisture is in the air. I I remember the first time I landed into Vancouver at the airport and I was walking out and there was a... um there was a vending machine that was selling umbrellas. <laughs> and I was like, that's a bit interesting. Then I walked outside, turned around, walked back in and bought an umbrella. <laughs> so uh, that was my first experience of uh, of the rain in Vancouver. So, yeah, I understand what you're talking about there. It's a bit of a damp environment. Yeah, exactly. I enjoyed the building restoration work, um, getting to use a lot of tools that I was already familiar with from my experience in construction previously, um, 
painting, caulking. I enjoyed, um, you know, those things, but it was the, the lack of work that was difficult, sort of sparse work say. And so from there, I moved on to window cleaning, um, more building maintenance activities, pressure washing and um, gutter cleaning and building wash and stuff like that. So the kind of stuff that it doesn't matter if it's raining because uh, the windows uh, still need cleaning, I guess. Exactly. In in the city here, it's uh, pretty common uh, for rope techs to jump into the window cleaning industry whether they're just starting off, you know, straight from their level one or they're looking to gain more hours experience or, you know, be busy for a season. Um, the building maintenance industry is, is good for that. Just a lot having to do with the weather here. Yep. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I find that um, guys in uh, in Australia who I know um, with the window cleaning, they that's where you seem to get really good at rigging ropes and problem solving because you need to get to various places and there may not be perfect access, you know, anchors installed and whatever, and you're constantly problem solving through the day as you do drop by drop. Is it similar in uh, in Vancouver or have they got systems in place? How does it sort of work? Yeah, there, it's, it's a little bit of both. It depends on the age of the building. Um, a lot of the newer buildings have installed anchors and appropriately installed anchors. Um, and then a lot of the older buildings that there's a lot, there's more problem solving involved for sure. So uh, is that um, what you're still doing now? Are you still polishing buildings and, and doing a bit of maintenance work or have you moved on to other stuff? I've moved on to other stuff at this point. Yeah. Cool. So tell us about that. Yeah. So I'm working for uh, an Arata member company uh, at this point and the focus of their contracting division is mostly uh, bridges and other industrial sites uh, in, in British Columbia and some in Alberta as well. Excellent. So, uh, so getting out of town and uh, I'm sure there's, uh, there's some amazing views and everything from uh, some of these locations that you're getting to, um, having driven around that sort of region, must be uh, quite a nice place to work. Yeah, it is. I especially enjoy working on the bridges because of the locations that we'll find ourselves in. Well, that most probably leads me on to my uh, next question. Um, what's, the, uh, what's the best job you've worked on in your career and or jobs, if you can't narrow it down to one? And what made that such a cool job? Yeah, all of the jobs that I would call my favorite or most memorable at this point have been uh, more recently, uh, within the past year. Uh, since I've been with this new company, um, mostly bridges, uh, like I said, and just this past winter, I worked with a small crew on a longer term project at a newly constructed grain terminal. And we were torquing bolts on the conveyor belt bridges and providing other services to trades, uh, as needed. And I think that, you know, other than the location and the views, uh, I think for me, the uh, most memorable part of that job was the crew that I was working with. Uh, there was at most four of us, uh, sometimes three. And uh, it was just a very strong crew. Everyone got along really well, very cohesive. And that made going to work every day very enjoyable. And I learned a lot from from these uh, rope techs. That's uh, that's awesome. Uh, 
I've asked this question a few times to a few different people and guys that have been in the industry for 25 years plus and every single person I've spoken to has mentioned some amazing jobs but every single one of them says the thing that made it the best was the people I was working with Mm -hmm. so um, they seem to be the ones that stand out to people I've had people on here talking about jobs they did 25 years ago and then name dropping the crew that was on there because it was such memorable and they couldn't tell me much about the job but they could tell me about all the (laughs) fun times they had with the people which uh, which is awesome and I think that sort of sums up this industry the rope access that um it is uh, a lot about you're you're working closely together i'm assuming that in some of these projects you're uh, living in digs together and you might be away for a while so um yeah you get these close bonds which is which is awesome yeah absolutely any uh any other jobs that sort of stand out that yeah it was on a job as well just before the winter hit here in vancouver um doing a replacement of a suspension bridge um some of this was uh, not completely rope access and there were elements of rope access to it, uh, just depending on the scope of work. But it was uh, a really fascinating job, incredible views, a rushing river right below. Um, and I would say that one was, was memorable for me as well. Same thing, excellent crew. And um, yeah, I think, yeah, just a crew that worked really well together. I'm guessing there was a little bit of exposure with that job as well, hanging above the, the river with uh, no no bridge there or the bridge that you're building. Must have been pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We were cutting out segments of a bridge so there wouldn't be bridge and then we'd bring in new bridge. And so it was a, a bit of a back and forth effect. And every time it rained, we'd show up the next day and that river would be roaring. <laughs> awesome, awesome. <laughs> Nothing scarier than hanging off of something and you're actually chopping it to pieces, though. You know, exactly. because they're saying, yeah, we, this is no good, but can you go and hang on it and please take it away? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Um, so that's, uh, that's going to bring me on to this, uh, my standard final question. If I could arrange the uh, DeLorean for you to take you back in time, back to when you got that paycheck, you did your, your first rope access course and you were there as a brand new level one, what advice would you give yourself um, if you could go back and have a chat with yourself? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, I think one of the things I would tell myself uh, is to pay more attention to my supervisors and to ask them more questions and to be more receptive to their feedback and their teachings. Um, I think that would be a big one now having had many supervisors to this point and having learned so much from these supervisors and, um, you know, realizing how much there is to learn from them. I, I think there would have been a lot more to be gained if I had you know, been aware of that when I first started. How do you find the, uh, the sort of mentoring up in, in Canada? Are they level threes taking level ones under their wings or? Does that sort of thing happen or is it just people moving from job to job and not really being with the same sort of supervisors on a regular basis? How does it sort of work? Um, for me, it's really, it's it seems to have be, be dependent on the industry and the company. Um, my experience with building restoration and building maintenance is that there's a lot more turnover. I did have supervisors who were level threes and 
most of the time they were the employees who had been with the company the longest. And so they were there uh, and available um, for the longest, but still I found there to be more turnover and less focus on mentorship. Uh, with the company I'm working with now, the supervisors have been with the company a long time and there is a, a strong role uh, to be a mentor. Um, from the best of those supervisors. And so I think that that's, you know, a big reason why I've enjoyed the work I've been doing in the last year is because of the supervisor mentorship. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a it's definitely important to me. Now that's, uh, that's really cool. Have you, uh, have you found that sort of because you're with a, I don't want to say more established, but um, obviously it's an Arata member company, so they've had to go through mm-hmm quite the process of being audited and that sort of thing. So a more established company and they're retaining, you know, supervisors and all of that. So then there's an opportunity for for that to happen. Yeah, exactly. I think uh, just like you said, that's exactly why. And it's a big reason why I sought out this company when I was looking to to change industries and change um, companies. Um, I was looking for uh, a company that, had supervisors who had been through a bit more of a rigorous, you know, company training and maybe supervisor training. And this is the case with the company I'm with now. Excellent. Now that's, uh, that's really cool. Um, I know that there's a, a guy in the industry, uh, a guy called Carl Raby, who I've actually interviewed. I've known him for a long time. He's now running a, through his company, HiQ, they're running a IOSH uh, rope access supervisors course. Um, I know that a couple have been run up in uh, Canada. I'm not sure where they were run, um, but that may be something that they, those guys could look at or yourself definitely because it sounds like you're definitely heading in that in the right direction. Jump on it. It's a two-day face-to-face course that um, I've actually attended myself. Um, there's no uh, there's no kickbacks here. I'm just uh, sharing information with people that it's a really good mm-hmm. course, talking about the, the safety. And I don't think that many level threes – sort of when they get to that supervisor level, they don't realise that all of a sudden they're in management. Mm-hmm. You know, they are on the on that first ladder of management where you need to mentor those guys coming up, but you also need to deal with the clients, you know, the boss and all of that. And all of a sudden you're not one of the guys hanging on the ropes. You are, you're in a management role. Um, and I think that course, it could be really beneficial for you if uh, if they ever open our borders again and, uh, and, and let people travel around and share some knowledge. So yeah, just thought I'd share that with you. Absolutely. I think for supervisors, you know, it's something I've been considering as I'm moving into that role, getting closer to that role. And for, you know, the supervisors who I've worked with, I don't think there's any end to to training and to knowledge uh, and experience as a supervisor. And so I think that, you know, that in classroom training or whatever format it comes in, I, I don't think there's any, you know, there should be any stop to that over the course of a, a supervisor's career. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, that's uh, that's really awesome. Thanks for thanks for taking the time to come in and have a chat with me. Um, we haven't really sort of chatted about uh, any of the dealing with a um, high male-dominated industry um, and uh, and how you've dealt with that. Um, do you have any anything you'd like to say about that? Because uh, it's interesting. I've looked at the stats and. Uh, I'm actually going to put them in uh, here on the ratio of females in our industry on the Arata side because they're the stats I have access to. But um, 
Have you got anything you'd like to chat about that? Yeah, um, I do. <laughs> uh, yeah, those those stats. Um, there was a individual uh, who released the updated stats on one of the Women in Rope Access Facebook pages recently, and I think a lot of us found that to be uh, very interesting. Um, again, those the errata stats. Uh, but yeah, what I can say about that ever since I started working in construction, which at this point was maybe about eight years ago, I think the biggest question that I'll get if I have uh, a male approach me and they'll say, you know, I'm surprised that you're in this industry or hi, how do you do this? Um, and I, I, I find that odd, um, you know, mostly because I could ask them the same question and probably get the same answers. Um, so that's the biggest one that comes up is how do you do this? Oh, I'm surprised to see you here. And similarly, you know, when I worked in, um, window cleaning, I would come in contact with a lot of residents of buildings and, you know, I would frequently get reactions from residents, you know, surprised that there's a female working on the ropes and performing a job that they would, you know, quote, seems like a man's job. Um, but having been in the rope access industry in the construction industry for a while now, uh, I've seen and talked to a lot of female rope techs, uh, female uh, trades people and um, you know, some that are level three supervisors, some that are newer to the rope access industry. And there's a lot of us now and it just, it's continuing to grow and a lot more female representation. And, you know, I don't think that there's necessarily limits, um, you know, on women as opposed to men in the industry. I think, you know, if anything, it might be the, the ability to, you know, lift more potentially, lift more weight potentially. But as we know with rope access, there's many creative means, uh, you know, to lift and to problem solve so that we can get a job done efficiently and safely without hurting our bodies. And I think that those skills like problem solving and creative skills are uh, a lot more useful in our industry than brute strength. And I think that's where a lot of females are fitting into the industry is because of those skills um, and, you know, leadership skills and other such things. Uh, so I, I think there's an equal place for women in the industry. I think it just depends on the location, the region, the company, the type of work that's being performed. Yeah, I definitely uh, agree with you there. I'm, uh, I'm sort of 20 odd years in the industry and one of my first supervisors when back way back when in the in the 90s was uh jay black mm. uh i actually worked for her for a while i'm sure you've heard the name um and she was uh an orata assessor at the time jay's since hung a harness up and uh, also in the company i was working with uh, the main instructor at the time before they were instructors uh carrie bishop um so i've uh, through my entire career i've always had uh female presence. The thing that I find doing a lot of training is we end up with less injuries from females than we do from uh, from males on a course because a guy will just go in there, a bloke will just go in there and he'll try and pull himself up by his arms where 
as a female will walk in there and they will engage their brain and they will use their flexibility, their technique and mainly their legs to get the same job done and and still be able to do it three days later, which uh, is always interesting to, to watch on a course because the blokes think that just pull it harder is going to win the game, which in our industry doesn't necessarily work. So uh, I always find that interesting, having trained a lot of females over the years. Mm-hmm. I'm, uh, I'm also a bit uh, interested in, uh, and I think this is going to, I'm going to have to go on a bit of a hunt because on those stats uh, uh, that were presented uh, last month, there's um, eight uh, female instructors, I believe it was. I haven't got the stats in front of me, but there's uh, eight instructors uh, who are female globally. So to me, um, that is our next pool of, uh, you know, that's where we're going to get our next uh, female assessors from. And I think I need to go on a hunt and see if I can pull those ladies in and have a chat with them and see how their career's gone because obviously they're they're pinnacle at the next you know that next progression into joining the 130 assessors that we have in Irata and uh, and and becoming one of those assessors which I think will be uh, a great asset to the industry because having been assessed by uh, females and uh, and worked with them in the past they bring a different dynamic to a to an assessment definitely yeah absolutely I would like to see that as well yeah so that's uh Moving forward, uh, I'll, I'll see if I can track them down. I do have a few names, um, and uh, but if you've uh, if you've got any uh, contact with any of those guys, definitely uh, pass some information on. And that's a bit of a call for action for everybody out there. If you are one of those females, uh, please drop me a line, and uh, and hopefully we can get you on here for a chat. Well, that's uh, awesome, Laura. Thanks for uh, thanks for taking the time. Thanks for coming in uh, and sharing your your time in the industry. I hope this encourages. Uh, any females out there who are thinking about getting into rope practice, wondering what it's all about, um, definitely to jump in there and uh, and get on a course and uh, come and join an awesome industry, I think. Yeah, thank you for having me. No problem. Will you stay safe uh, in these uh, interesting times with the border closures and all of that stuff? And uh, we'll, definitely, uh, we'll definitely stay in touch and um, may need to get you in for another chat um, later in the year. Sounds great. Well, thanks again, Laura, for taking the time to have a chat with us. Pretty cool to see uh, how you sort of got into the industry and, um, you know, getting the money of a uh, bashed up old van to pay for the course and then uh, taking you in a new direction, which is great to hear. And some of those bridges that you're working on sound pretty amazing. So thanks again for the chat. Uh, For everybody out there, if you haven't subscribed to the podcast, please do. Uh, whichever platform you're listening to it on, press the appropriate buttons and uh, and then you'll get the updates of when the new episodes come out. But we're coming out every Tuesday, 9am Sydney time down in Australia. So you should get that at whatever time it is in your part of the world. It's pretty amazing, I'm finding, that um, where people are listening to this episode. I think we've just hit 66 countries around the world where people have downloaded the episode. So that's, uh, that's pretty amazing. We've also got some stuff coming out with... Um, some manufacturers we're going to be chatting to some of those guys uh there may be some giveaways of some equipment as well so stay tuned for that but anyway for now stay safe i'll see you soon cheers